Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy at East Tennessee State University. It's a beautiful June 13th day here in Mountain Home, Tennessee, uh, where I'm in my office. And I'm going to talk today about um, the latest new drug approval by the FDA, polituzumab vidotin, which was uh, approved by the FDA on June 10th via an accelerated approval um, for uh, relapsed refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in patients after two prior lines of treatment in combination with bendamustine and rituximab. When I first saw this, I was like, cool, a new drug, honestly, first thought. Second thought was bendamustine for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Not, uh, not a, a BR is not a regimen that we use a lot for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Uh, it is listed as a, a 2A option along with several other things for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in the, the NCCN guidelines. Um, and if you do a PubMed search, you'll find this, uh, this drug, uh, polituzumab vidotin, studied uh, mostly in patients that are transplant ineligible, which is how it was studied, as we will see. How does this drug work? Well, uh, polituzumab, monoclonal antibody, binds to CD79B, which is a component of the B cell receptor. So it is very specific to B cells. Then there is a linker combined to, and the vidotin should be uh, a similar term for you to hear and to your ears, MMAE, which is uh, the microtubule poison, same thing that is on brintuximab vidotin. So after binding to CD79B, uh, this antibody drug conjugate, ADC, is then internalized, and then uh, there is a cleaving of that linker, which allows release of MMAE, which then goes uh, and binds to microtubules, causing cell death. Uh, same as with brintuximab. Uh, and there are an average of 3.5 MMAE molecules per uh, polituzumab. That is in the package density. Interesting. Three and a half on average. Uh, also, like brintuximab, the drug is given uh, IV at a dose of 1.8 milligrams per kilogram. Now, unlike brintuximab, which has a max dose of 180 milligrams, there is no max dose here based on body weight. So it's 1.8 mg per kg uh, every 21 days in conjunction with bendamustine rituximab. That's bendamustine on day uh, on two days per cycle, uh, 90 milligrams per meter squared. Typical bendamustine dose. Four six cycles is the approval. Uh, patients should receive a pre-medication with acetaminophen and diphenhydramine prior to polituzumab. Now, uh, first cycle, polituzumab is given over 90 minutes, and then if tolerated, the next cycle is 30 minutes. But after that first 90-minute infusion, there then needs to be a 90-minute observation period. And so that's three hours. And then if you want to, and you probably don't want to give other drugs during that 90-minute observation in case there is an infusion reaction, so you can see what the drug is, uh, especially if you're giving rituximab, which is going to take three to four hours probably with the first cycle, and then bendamustine is an hour. So you're looking at six and a half hours if you try to do all this on day one of cycle one, which is not how it was done in the studies. In the studies, day one, they got, from what I can tell, rituximab, and then day two, they got the polituzumab vidotin, the first dose of bendamustine, and then day three, bendamustine alone. As long as everything went well, then on cycles two through six, they got everything on day one and then just the bendamustine on day two. So some busy clinic time for these patients up front with that first cycle and then that first day of subsequent cycles. Uh, so that's the administration. Again, does require pre-medication with uh, acetaminophen uh, or the acetaminophen paracetamol. They call it an antipyretic and an antihistamine. So acetaminophen and diphenhydramine for most patients. 
Okay, moving into the warnings precautions. Several of these, and these should sound familiar if you're well-versed with brintuximabidone. So, uh, peripheral neuropathy happened in 40% of patients. It can happen after the first cycle, but it is cumulative. Uh, although not a lot of severe or grade three peripheral neuropathy, only 2.3% of patients in all studies have had grade three peripheral neuropathy. 2.9% total patients had to have a dose decrease for peripheral neuropathy, and there are dose adjustments in the package insert for neuropathy. It's often a sensory neuropathy. Uh, infusion reactions uh, occurred in 7% of patients despite pre-medications with an antipyretic and an antihistamine, um, hence the 90-minute observation period. However, there are reports of infusion reactions, serious ones, uh, occurring up to 24 hours later or, or at least 24 hours later, so you can still have delayed infusion reactions um, after the time of administration, which is a little different from what we think of from monoclonal antibodies. And it, They look like uh, and sound like typical infusion reactions with fever, chills, flushing, dyspnea, uh, hypotension, itching. Uh, there is a warning for myelosuppression. Now, this is mostly thrombocytopenia, just like with brintuximabidotin. Uh, as well as trastuzumab imtanzine, those these armed uh, antibodies uh, tend to have microtubule poisons, those tend to cause thrombocytopenia. But we will see there's an increased risk of pneumonia despite not having, not necessarily an increased risk of neutropenia with polituzumab. Uh, in patients in the study that got this approved, 42% of patients received uh, prophylactic GCSF at, at some point, uh, despite that 11% did have febrile neutropenia in that study and the, the GCSF was given per investigator's choice. Now these were patients who had, had uh, you know, likely were heavily pretreated. so it, certainly uh, going forward, uh, even with 11% febrile neutropenia risk, that's less than the 20% risk um, from the, uh, the ASCO guidelines that would kind of mandate uh, primary prophylaxis with GCSF. 11% with 40% of the patients in the study getting prophylactic GCSF. I think a lot of folks are gonna give GCSF upfront with this regimen especially for, for older patients, uh, which was a main reason that they were considered transplant ineligible in these studies. Um, opportunistic infections, there's a warning for that. So patients should receive herpes virus and PJP or PSAP for you older clinicians. Prophylaxis is recommended for patients going on uh, polituzumab plus bendamustine rituximab. Uh, PML, progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy, 0.6%. Uh, it's also seen with rituximab, so maybe is this the drug? Is it rituximab? Is it just chronically being myelosuppressed from the disease? Uh, risk of tumor lysis syndrome, uh, hepatotoxicity, uh, grade three elevations in LFTs occurred in 1.9% in of patients. And then embryofetal toxicity is a drug that could be given to younger patients if they were transplant eligible for some other reason. Uh, so there are warnings about trying to get pregnant uh, or conceive uh, within three to five months after being on this drug. We don't often think, um, oh, before I go into um, some of the ADME, let's run through uh, uh, polituzumab BR versus BR from a toxicity standpoint, because there is an active comparison in this approval. So neutropenia, 49% versus 44%, similar, but much more thrombocytopenia, 49% versus 33%, more in the polituzumab group. Grade 3 thrombocytopenia, 40% versus 26%. Uh, anemia, 47% versus 28%, worse in polituzumab. All of these are worse with polituzumab. Uh, diarrhea, 38 versus 28%. Pneumonia, 16% versus 2.6%. Pretty large difference there, including two deaths in the polituzumab group. There was one death in the BR alone group. Uh, 
hypocalcemia, decrease in calcium, 44% compared to 26%. Uh, I don't have a good reason why that is. There was also 36% of patients had an increase in lipase compared to 13% just receiving BR, although not a lot of mention of pancreatitis that I saw in the package insert. So that may just be a, 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 you know, a not severe finding, but something to be aware of. We're not often used to seeing monoclonal antibodies with warnings for drug interactions or dose adjustments for hepatic impairment, but because of the MMAE, this microtubule poison that is hepatically metabolized, uh, it is thought, it's, uh, it's expected that a potent 3 4 inhibitor like cutoconazole would increase exposure to MMAE by 45%, and then a potent inducer like rifampin would decrease exposure by 60-some percent. So there are some warnings with drug interactions uh, because of the vedotin in prolotuzumab vedotin. Uh, there's also a, uh, a warning not to give this drug if patients have a total bilirubin that's 1.5 times the upper limb to normal, which is probably going to be about 1.5, 1.6, depending on your lab. And again, that's because um, with the elevated bilirubin, it'd be harder to, uh, to eliminate MMAE from the body, therefore having more toxicity, especially thrombocytopenia and peripheral neuropathy, which is what you would also expect with brintuximabidotin. So a lot of similarities, as you might expect. Uh, just a different target uh, with, with this drug targeting uh, CD79B. From an efficacy standpoint, this was based, uh, this approval is based off a study of 80 patients, 8-0, and it's accelerated approval, so it's based only off of overall response rate. So 80 patients were enrolled in a study. They had relapsed or refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma who were not candidates for transplant. Um, they had to have had at least one prior regimen uh, with a median of two regimens ranging from one to seven. Uh, so the inclusion criteria here, from what the package insert says, is they ha had to have had at least one prior regimen for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. The FDA approval is more stringent in that they had to have at least two prior therapies, which matches at least the median numbers here, uh, but a little bit of an odd discordance, um, but that's probably good, a little safer. Again, um, this is not published, so we can't see there, and it's probably too small of a study with only 80 patients to see if there's any differences in efficacy between those who only had one line of treatment versus two or more lines of treatment. But the overall response rate at the end of treatment, so at the end of the six cycles, 45% had a response uh, with polituzumab versus 18% who received only BR. Uh, complete response at the end of treatment, 40% with PBR. How have I not been using PBR the whole time for this regimen? So 40% CRA PBR compared to only 18% with BR. Best overall response rate, 63% versus 25% favoring PBR. Best response being complete response, 50% versus 23%. So what you might notice there is this best response number is higher than the overall response or complete response at the end of treatment. So why might that be? The only thing I could think of is patients have a response or a complete response, say after cycle three, and then resistance develops and they lose that response um, and have an early relapse, um, which, which begs the question, what would be the role of this drug in therapy? And I'm not a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma expert, um, but you know, potentially someone with relapsed refractory diffuse large piece of lymphoma could be cured with allogeneic stem cell transplant or CAR-T therapy. Um, don't see a lot about the baseline demographics of these patients, but they don't sound like maybe they would be transplant or CAR-T patients because um, that was part of the inclusion criteria. They were not candidates for hepato 
hematopoietic stem cell transplant. Uh, I think 26% of the patients in the study, um, which is not very many, it's like 20 patients probably, uh, were not a candidate for transplant because uh, they, their disease were, was resistant to prior therapy. So maybe some of these, maybe, 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 we don't know again, maybe some of the patients receiving polituximab, bendamustine, rituximab, um, polituximab, yeah, PBR, uh, this might serve as a bridge to further uh, intensive treatment with a transplant or CAR-T. Don't know. Would love to hear from some lymphoma experts on what they see about this, and I'm sure uh, you can check the Twitters and the social medias to find that. But that's polituzumab vidotin. Uh, speaking of the social media, uh, you can find me on Twitter at farmdeetnip. Find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at oncofarmpod. Uh, I hope uh, you've enjoyed uh, this discussion of this new drug, polituzumab vidotin. Uh, and uh, feel free. I would encourage you to find uh, the podcast on iTunes. Give us a nice uh, five-star rating. Give us a review. Uh, you can also find us uh, on the Android apps in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher as well as SoundCloud. And thanks for listening. And as always, I hope to talk to you again and hear from you via email and things like that. And, uh, until then, remember, doses matter. Thank you.